Welcome to the 16th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we're going to be doing a breakdown of UFC Fight Night, Alexander Volkov versus Alistair Overeem. Afterwards, we're going to be looking at some of the other news inside of the UFC, and we're going to finish off by looking at UFC 258. So, to start off, we had the main event, Alexander Volkov versus Alistair Overeem. Now, this was an incredible performance by Alexander Volkov. He did a lot of great things in this fight against a great kickboxer in Alistair Overeem, who also has great grappling as well, especially his offensive grappling is great. But Alexander Volkov did a lot of things very well in this fight. The main thing that stuck out to me was his, his jab and his straight right. He was throwing that 1-2 all night at Alistair Overeem, and he's 6-7, so the amount of power that he can generate off a jab and off a straight right are second to none. And throughout this fight, we pretty much saw Overeem, who was using a lot of high block defense, and he was allowing Volkov to get him up against the fence and pressure him. And as soon as Volkov was able to pressure Alistair Overeem, it was pretty much done. Overeem isn't as great at striking when he's moving backwards. And if you let Volkov pressure you, it's going to be a long night because he's going to pressure you and he's going to throw that jab. And Volkov has some of the best cardio in the heavyweight division. And that's not even including his teeps and his kicks to the body where Volkov does a great job at attacking the body to really wear his opponent down. And when you combine that with his own cardio, he's really a different monster for that heavyweight cardio. The one thing that we have seen Volkov struggle with throughout his career is the takedowns. And not so much the takedowns where you had guys like Curtis Blades who were able to take him down at will, but Curtis Blades is one of the best wrestlers in MMA, so we will cut uh, Volkov some slack for that. But the threat of the takedown is what really prevents Volkov from striking. When he is threatened with the takedown, his striking is not as strong as it otherwise would be. So when Overeem doesn't come out and threaten that takedown, it really let Volkov get in a rhythm and allow him to work with all his strikes. He has he has good hands, as we mentioned before with the 1-2 that he throws. Great teeps, great body kicks, very good leg kicks he threw in there as well. Great kicks to the head with that with that length and those long limbs knees, elbows. Volkov's got all of that. And when you don't threaten that takedown, he starts to get comfortable on his feet. And when he gets comfortable on his feet, he's a very tough man to beat. And in this fight, we didn't see much for takedown offense for Overeem. I think this is because a lot of Overeem's takedowns come from the clinch. Uh, against Jerzynia Rosenstrike, he got a lot of his takedowns from the clinch position. He struggled to get inside on Volkov for whatever reason. He went for the clinch a couple times in the first round. He went in the clinch um, in the second round and eventually attempted to take down. But at that point, he was pretty beaten pretty bad. That was about 30 to a mi- thirty seconds to a minute before um, Volkov finished him. So we really didn't see much takedown offense. And I think a lot of that it probably comes from the knees and the elbows of Volkov. When you can threaten someone that much with knees and elbows, when they get inside, it's going to be harder for Overeem to get inside. And with uh, Overeem was on his back foot all night. That's another reason. It's a lot harder to get into the clinch when you're moving backwards. 
So Volkov did a great job of maintaining the center of the octagon and keeping Alistair up against the fence, which really prevented him to go for some of those takedowns. It prevented him from entering the clinch. And especially at a heavyweight division, it's a lot dif more difficult to shoot for takedowns just based off the range that a lot of these heavyweights have. I mean, Volkov is 6'7", so Volkov can keep you on the outside, and if you can't get on the inside, you can't shoot for a takedown. So I don't think there was ever a chance where we were going to see a shot from Alistair over him, but uh, he didn't allow him to get in the clinch, which is great for Volkov and shows a lot of development since his last couple fights against, his last fight was against Walt Harris, which is mainly striking, but before that we had Curtis Blades where he did struggle with the takedown. So it's nice to see... It's nice to see Volkov grow in that way, and I think every time we've seen Volkov, we have seen a more improved Volkov, and I don't think he is done progressing as a fighter, so this is going to be a guy to watch out for in this heavyweight division. Now, the division right now for the heavyweights is really, it's in a messy spot. We have Francis and Stipe fighting for the belt here soon, So, but after that, you have John Jones. And you have um, you have John Jones, who is likely going to get the next title shot after that. But then that leaves Volkov. That leaves the winner of Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. So we have a lot of guys who have earned title shots, but we're just not getting a lot of activity out of that heavyweight belt, and we're not getting a lot of a lot of defenses for that. This is for several reasons, partially. Because um, Stipe and DC, when they had the belt, they obviously had to do their trilogy, which is fine. And there was a lot of layoff in between fights in that trilogy based off injuries, which is completely understandable. So I understand why this heavyweight belt has been uh, relatively slow to be defended as of late. But that has made the situation where we have a plethora of heavyweight contenders. I mean, anytime you beat Alistair Overeem, who's the fifth-ranked guy, in the manner that Volkov just did... You'd think that would get you a title shot, but he's got John Jones in front of him. If Curtis Blades or Derek Lewis goes out there and has an impressive performance against the other one, you would think you'd be able to get a title shot, but that's likely not going to happen because of the stacked heavyweight division we have right now. And then you throw John Jones in the mix. John Jones comes in, and he automatically cuts the line, deservedly so, based off the things he's done in his career at light heavyweight. So... I think it's going to be interesting. I imagine that we get another fight for Volkov here before he fights for the title. Just because if he wants to fight for the title, eventually what's going to happen is if he tries to fight for the title now, whether he deserves it or not, but if he tries to fight for the title now, there's going to be a long layoff. And the next available opportunity for him to fight for the title won't be until probably 2022. I don't know if Volkov wants to, wants to sit out that long. And by 2022, um, MMA fans have a short memory. So at that point, someone else may have came on the scene and really had an impressive performance and was able to jump Volkov. So I think Volkov needs another fight. I think likely it will be the winner of uh, Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. They have all fought before. Um, Volkov lost to both Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. Now, the Derek Lewis fight, Volkov was winning that fight, and then Derek Lewis had a great comeback win in that fight. So I think that's a more likely fight that we see, just because Volkov probably wants that back. And for Curtis Blades, Curtis dominated him 
for the better the better part of five rounds the first three for sure and then in in the later rounds uh blade started to slow down volkov really started to get in more of the rhythm started defending takedowns better but blades did still win those rounds volkov might have snuck one in there but for the most part it was a very dominant performance by curtis blades but i think if volkov can convince people that he can stop a takedown we could see that rematch between volkov and curtis blades if they both win so we're gonna have to wait and see here for this heavyweight division there's a lot of fights coming up as the uh, we've talked a lot here recently about Lewis and Blades, but we also have uh, Surreal Gan and Jorginho Rosenstrike, who also will be fighting each other soon. That is February 27th. So we've got two more main event heavyweights this month. So this heavyweight division is going to see a lot of movement, but right now it looks like, barring a great performance from one of these upcoming heavyweight fights, Volkov really did a great job of putting himself in contention for that heavyweight belt. I don't think he's going to be there quite yet uh, based off that landscape of the division. But I think he has set himself, he's done great work so far, and he's put himself in a good position to make the run you need for the heavyweight uh, chance for the belt. And then after that, in the or before that, in the co-main event, we had Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar. This fight, there really isn't much that happened in this fight. Uh, it sounds weird, but basically the whole fight, 28 seconds, Corey Sanhagen, perfectly timed, flying knee, puts Frankie Edgar to, see, to sleep. And this was a devastating knockout for anyone who didn't see it. Corey Sanhagen hit Frankie with the knee. Frankie goes stiff. He's stiff on the canvas. Uh, and uh, one, of the, one of the better knockouts you'll see this year probably. It's a very early contender for 2021 uh, knockout of the year. So... For Sandhagen, these last two performances have been crazy. This obviously a knockout of the year contender already in January. Last year, he had a top five knockout of the year with that spitting heel kick to Marlon Moraes. Corey Sandhagen is a fun fighter. Corey Sandhagen is much watched TV. And I Corey Sandhagen has a lot of potential in this 135-pound division. This division is a fun division. And I'm excited to see what's going on for these guys here in the future. Obviously, next fight, next big fight in this 135-pound division is Eljo versus Piotr Jan for that 135-pound belt. Now, after that, San, Corey Sanhagen has done all he does, all he needs to do to get a title shot. After that shot against Marlon Moraes, I'm pretty sure I sat here and I said that Corey Sanhagen deserved the next title shot. He decided he wanted to fight again against Frankie Edgar, and then he gets out gets out of there in 28 seconds. Don't think he absorbed a single punch. He got out of there, flying knee, knockout of the night, maybe knockout of the year. So now it's pretty undeniable to it's pretty undeniable that Corey Sandhagen deserves that next title shot. And and ooh, and um, from Corey Sandhagen, the big thing that we haven't seen from Sandhagen is a lot of that vocal. He hasn't been very vocal in the media, which has kind of limited his opportunities. I know a lot of people don't like that, but that's whether you like it or not, that's just kind of how the game goes. You have to be vocal to get some of these opportunities. Corey Sandhagen in the past hasn't been that vocal. But 
after this fight on the mic, he gets on the mic, he calls out the winner of Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. He also calls out TJ Dillashaw. And basically what he said was he wants to fight the winner of Piotr Jan and Eljo. He acknowledged that Eljo beat him in the past, but he said he owes Eljo a nap. Great line by Corey Sanhagen. And I wasn't expecting him to say anything like that at all. I was expecting him to go up there and, you know, say that uh, he was happy with his performance. But he, he went out there and he called out he called out the upper half of the division. So respect to him on that. He did it in a fun way. He did it in a real way. Didn't seem scripted. He went out there, looked like he was talking from the heart. So respect to Corey Sanhagen on that. And the underrated aspect of this is he was talking about TJ Dillashaw. Now, he didn't call out TJ Dillashaw in, a, in an I want to fight you type of way, but he called out TJ Dillashaw and said it would be garbage for TJ to fight for the belt next, which is a common opinion by most MMA fans that TJ Dillashaw does not deserve that 135-pound title opportunity after his PED suspension. So, Corey Sanhagen pretty much says what everybody is thinking. Everybody agrees with him. But the part where this gets interesting is... I think depending on what happens against Eljo and Peter Jan, that fight against Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw would be a fun one. I don't know whether they do that now. I doubt they do that now. Um, it'd be a great opportunity for Corey Sanhagen. Anytime you can put a name like TJ Dillashaw on your resume. He, I mean, he just, put, he just put Frankie Edgar on his re resume. He's got Marlon Moraes on his resume. Some great wins. So... When you have that opportunity to take out TJ Dillashaw, I don't know if they want to do it now, but anytime down the line, that'd be a fun fight. And Corey Sanhagen laid the groundwork for that TJ Dillashaw fight by calling him out. He called him out again, or he called him out previously after the Marlon Moraes. He said he wanted to fight him in January, I believe. He said he wanted to fight him in January or February after TJ's suspension was over. That fight obviously never came to fruition. They're working on a fight for TJ. I'm not too sure where that's going. But I think Corey Sanhagen would be a great it'd be a great um it'd be a great person to give TJ to for a return fight. If obviously Corey deserves that title shot, but if he's willing to risk risk that title shot for a chance at TJ TJ Dillashaw, I think That'd be a fun fight that everyone wants to see, and that would only only build his star brighter before he gets to that title shot. And anytime you can build your star brighter before a title shot, that's a good thing. So if he can get that opportunity, I'd love to see him take it. And I think he can beat TJ. That's why that's why I am uh, sitting here saying that he should take it. Um, anytime you can add that name to your resume. I think Corey can do that, especially after the last two fights. He's looked great. So I hope Corey is interested in that fight. And if we don't get it now, I hope we get it sometime down the line. For TJ, what they're looking at for TJ right now is Jose Aldo and Cody Garbrandt are both two names where they've looked at for TJ for his return. And I like both those names. TJ is going to be at 135. I wouldn't be surprised if we see TJ Dillashaw move up to 145 pounds eventually. He was a big 135 pounder originally, and he's looked like he's gotten bigger in his two years off. So I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually see TJ Dillashaw at 145 pounds. But right now, the two names, Cody Garbrandt and Jose Aldo, 
I think these are the two best options. Cody and TJ obviously have a history with each other. That's an easy fight to sell, and it's a meaningful fight in the sense that Cody is looking to get some more wins here. Cody's just trying to stay active at this point. He's waiting for that Moreno and Figueroa or Moreno and Figgy rematch. So he's waiting on that. I think TJ would be a good opportunity opportunity to stay active, and he could still get that 125 title shot afterwards. But if they don't decide to go with TJ, Jose is also a good option. Jose looked very good in his last fight against Cheeto Vera, and I think a a a fight against TJ and Jose would be a very good fight. It'd be a fight of uh, it's one of these matchups that we see where we see guys paired up from a previous generation. These two guys have been in the sport for a long time, and they've never been in the same division with each other. So I think this would be a fun fight, and I, w- I hope TJ returns to a fun fight and a tough fight. I don't want to see TJ re- return against someone that um, that he's got a good chance of beating. I want to see him in a tough fight because a lot of people are saying that these EPO accusations that he did, a lot of people were saying that was long before his move down to 125, and he just got... He got caught when he moved down to 125. So I really hope that we can see TJ in a tough match and see and see if he can still do it uh, after the two-year layoff, after without having EPO in his system because it's really hard to say when he started taking EPO. So put put Corey in, or put TJ in there against a tough guy. I like Jose. I like Co- I like Cody, and I really like. Uh, or Cody Garbrandt and Corey Sandhagen. I like both those options, or all three of those options. So a lot of fun fights for TJ Dillashaw right now. Moving on, we'll move on to fight of the night, which was Benil Dariush versus Carlos Ferreira. So this fight, I was really surprised by Dariush in this fight. I've always known Dariush to be a great striker. You can see that with his knockouts over Holtzman and Close. So he had two last two fights were two great knockouts, and he looked great on the feet this fight as well. But he took down Fajeda, and he really did some good work on the ground. Fajeda is a great BJJ practitioner with great skills on the ground, and Daryush was, you know, it didn't bother him. He took him down, he took him down several times actually, and Fajeda was throwing up submission attempts, and he's he's a like I said, he's a great BJJ guy. So Fajeda is throwing up these submission attempts. He went for several leg locks, and Daryush stayed out of trouble. Nothing really seemed too tight. I'd say the the biggest the biggest submission that I I saw that might be able to stick was that guillotine that Fajeda had at one point. That looked like he was in a good spot, but but Daryush got out of that. And on the feet, there's just something about Benil Daryush. You look at Daryush. And he doesn't look that fast on the feet. He looks a little bit slow. And I don't know if that's just, hes I don't know if he's one of those guys where, you know, he just doesn't look that great on TV. Volkov is another one of those guys where he doesn't look that great. Uh, sometimes he looks a little clumsy. I'd say the same for Daryush. Sometimes it looks like Daryush is a little slow. But this, I, he, he's obviously not true. That's obviously not true, despite what your eyes are saying. Because you go out there and you see him hit targets. And he was he was touching up Fajeda on the feet. Um, Fajeda put in some good work as well. This was a great fight. It was obviously fight of the night for a reason. 
Fajeda landed some really good shots. And these are two guys who have been consistently overlooked in this 115 pound division. When you had this division with so many stars, it's really, it's tough to get some of these talented guys that don't have as big of names in, in some of those big fights. So I, I hope this fight did it for Dariush, and I hope this fight kind of made people realize how how good he is because he looked great to go out there and look that dominant over a great fighter in, in Diego, Diego Fajeda. So in this 115-pound division, or 155-pound division, there's... Both these guys still have a lot of options left. Daryush, I think you got to give him somebody. You got to move him up the rankings. Fajeda was 10. And looking at this division, you got Paul Felder and Dan Hooker at 8 and 9. And I think Daryush would be a good matchup for both of those guys. I know Felder and Hooker are both coming off losses. but I, And in this, I would lean towards Felder. There is a lot of matchups that we have to see get made. But I think when you look at this lightweight division, you see the top nine names. I'm not going to list them all off, but the top nine. You see Felder sitting there, and there's a little bit of a drop-off. You have Felder to Fajeda, and I'm not talking about a skill drop-off. I'm talking about a name recognition drop-off. You have Fajeda, who's a lot lesser known, Paul Felder. Everybody knows and loves Paul Felder in the MMA world, and deservedly so. So I think for Daryush to get him in there against Paul Felder, um, I think this is a great opportunity for both guys, great opportunity for Felder to get back in the win column, and it's a great opportunity for Benil Daryush to really make a statement against someone who's a very well-liked fighter and a well-known fighter. So I would be excited to see that matchup. And I think Felder... At this point, it looks like he's going to get left out at 155 pounds. There's a lot of matchmaking that needs to get done in that division. And at this point, it looks like Felder is going to be on the outsides because I don't see him fighting anyone above him in the rankings at this point. Just because when you look at the rankings, you have Dan Hooker at 8 and you have Rafael Dos Santos at 7. Those two guys are Paul Felder's last two fights. He lost to both of those guys. And then you're looking at Connor at six. I don't see Felder versus Connor right now. I think it'd be more likely. I think there's a bunch of fights that are more likely for Connor than Paul Felder. But even just looking at the rankings, Dan Hooker at eight is more likely. Tony Ferguson is more likely. Justin Gaethje, Justin Poirier again, Nate Diaz again. I think a lot of these fights are just way more likely to happen. And I don't envision Paul Felder versus... Um, versus Connor. The the only one that I could see Paul Felder moving up in the rankings to fight is Tony. Um that's a fight I could see just because Tony's on a two fight losing streak, so they might try and give Felder I'm um, they might try and get Felder that fight, but at the same time I also think Felder versus Dan Hooker or I excuse me, I think Tony versus Dan Hooker would be a fight they'd be uh looking to make before Felder. So I think right now there's a lot of opportunities running around but I don't think that Paul Felder's name is going to be the first uh, to get called for some of these opportunities. And that's a shame because Paul Felder's a great guy and a great fighter. So I think the best thing for Paul Felder would be to go down, fight someone like Daryush, and get back in the win column so he can start moving up in the rankings again. And for Daryush, if, if, if you see Paul Felder, if Paul Felder's the name the UFC brings to you, 
that's a that's a yes. That's got to be a yes. Paul Felder is a fun fight for anybody. Paul Felder always gets in entertaining fights, no matter what. You can say the same for Daryush. So that would be a great scrap, and that's the fight I would want to see for Benil Daryush next. For Diego Fajeda, I think there's the there isn't a clear fight right now for Fajeda because you have Kevin Lee and Ali Quinta who are sitting in the rankings right now. You can make the fight against both those guys for Fajeda, but it's really unclear when they want to return. Ali Quinta hasn't been all that vocal about when he's returning to fighting. Uh, he's been he's he's on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, Kevin Lee had two two uh, ACL surgeries since his last fight against Charles Oliveira, and I believe he's looking to return soon. But it's really not sure. You really can't be sure with ACLs. Pelf, or Kevin Lee said a couple months ago that he's looking at a spring return, so that's coming up. But at the same time. If you have a slight setback with that ACL, then you could be in trouble. So it's it's really too early to say exactly when Kevin Lee will be back. But I think Kevin Lee and Ali Quinta would be good fights for Diego Fajeda after this loss. And then the other fights I want to talk about here, we have Pantoja, Alexandre Pantoja versus Manel Cape. So this fight, I've been hyping up Manel Cape a lot. I've talked about him on this podcast. I've talked about him on Twitter. I think he is one of the better fighters to come and make his UFC debut in a while. I've been excited for this. But in this fight, Pantoja looked Pantohaj looked very great. And the thing about this is there's always, with Pantoja, there's always this grappling aspect that you have to worry about. And I think that prevented Manel Cape from letting his hands go because he didn't want to be on the ground with that good of a grappler. And Cape looked good, but so did Pantoja. So I think here that Cape didn't really let his hands go. I think this was a bad stylistic matchup for Cape for his entry into this, uh, into the UFC and into the 125-pound division. And I think he is still one of the top-tier 125-pounders in the world. But this just wasn't his night. And I think he will be back. He'll probably be back soon. He didn't seem to take too much damage in that fight. And there's a lot of there's a lot of guys where you could make uh, there's a lot of guys you can book both Pantoja and Cape up against, especially in this 125 pound division. I think for Pantoja, Pantoja, you're looking at jo- Joseph Benavidez and Askar Askarov are supposed to fight. Then you have Alex Perez, which I think would be a good fight for either Pantoja or Cape. So, and then you have Brandon Royval running around who's looked good. I think that'd be a good matchup, Pantoja versus Royval. That, that's probably where I, I would go at this point is Pantoja versus Royval and then Alex Perez versus Manel Cape. I know Alex Perez is higher in the rankings than Royval, but I think Royval is super hot at the moment. He's had some great uh, performances in his last couple fights. He did just lose to Brandon Moreno. But prior to that, he was looking great. In that Moreno fight, he got injured. So before that, Royval was on his way to a title shot. And I think he's one of the hotter guys in this division. So that's why I'm saying Pantoja should fight him at six, even though he won. And I think that fight does make a little bit of sense. And these rankings um, are not great at the moment for the 125-pound division. 
And on this card, we had some great prospects. First prospect on was the opening fight of the night was Ode Osborne. And this was a very good performance. Very simple here. Um, he basically rolled with a kick. The kick stayed up on the shoulder for a second too long. And he caught Jerome Rivera with a quick left hand down the pipe and put him down. Very simple here. But Ode Osborne looked great. And he's going to move down to that 125-pound division. And I think he's going to get in there against a ranked guy because against Jerome Rivera, he looked very good and got him out of there quick. That's all you got to say. And he will be in those 125-pound rankings sooner rather than later. The next guy was Devontae Smith. He looked really good. He's always been a great striker. He's always had a great right two, one-two, good right hand. And in this fight, we saw a little bit more of his grappling against against uh, Justin James. So, and he hit a nice lateral drop, a really nice takedown with that. I was so impressed watching that. He had great top control when he was on top. And I'm excited to see what he can do. I just wanted to give him a little bit of shine here because I feel like it would be, uh, I'd be remiss to not talk about his great performance. And then the last prospect off this fight card was Choi Seung-woo. So he is a very interesting prospect because I, I like the way he strikes a lot. And he has made improvements in his game from his last couple fights. In this fight, he was throwing some great kicks. He's very long and he uses, utilizes his legs and his kicks to an advantage. And I think that's a very fun style for, for, this, for the UFC. And I think this is a guy to watch out for. And uh, he's still a little raw, but if he can see some improvements, I think he can make some damage in, in, uh, in the UFC. So I'm excited to see how that goes. And then moving on, that's going to be all I'm going to talk about for UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Volkov. Now we're going to move into some other news. First piece of news I want to talk about is Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz put out a tweet uh, this week, and he basically said, Nate Diaz Army... A uh, 170-pound soldier. So, Nate Diaz. Sometimes it can be hard to know what Nate Diaz is talking about because he likes to talk in like a in a little coded thing where he likes to be a little cryptic. This one, basically, what he's saying is he's fighting at 170. It was rumored that he was going to move down to 155 pounds as last week and the week before that. So. Right now, we're looking at Nate Diaz is going to stay at 170. And I think this is very interesting for a couple of reasons. And the first reason is I think he was moving down to 155 to get Connor or Poirier. For Nate Diaz, I don't, I don't think there's much for him at 155 other than those two fights. He's had, he has a history with both guys. He's obviously fought Connor twice, and he wants that trilogy fight, and understandably so. For Dustin Poirier, he was scheduled to fight Dustin Poirier. That fight didn't work out, and it eventually fell through. So, and Dustin Poirier seemed open to that option of fighting fighting Nate Diaz. So, I think this tells me that the UFC is in serious talks for Connor versus Dustin three. Now, because I think that's the only reason Nate would try and dangle that 155 pound uh, pound move. Is, is if he gets one of those guys. So to hear he's going back up to 170, I immediately think that they have Connor versus Poirier 
three in the works. But at the same time, they might just be looking at Connor versus someone else and Poirier versus someone else. That's completely possible. But as we move on here, it's looking more and more likely for Connor versus Poirier. Poirier wants it. Connor wants it. Um, I don't think either guy, either of those guys are going to turn down that uh, that opportunity. Now, the big question for that fight is, is it going to be for the belt? And the, the common thought on this is Dustin Poirier's next fight is going to be for the belt. But at the same time, there's also pretty much nobody saying that Conor deserves to fight for a belt at this point. He, his only win at 155 pounds is against Eddie Alvarez several years ago, which was for the belt, obviously. But at this point, I don't think anybody is saying that Conor deserves a title shot. So this is, it's, it, we're in a difficult situation here because both these guys want this fight. The UFC probably wants this fight. I'm going to assume they want it because why, why, if you're the UFC, the, the card, the, um, the second fight did 1.6 million and you can assume that the third fight is going to do more just off of, if you look at Nate Diaz versus Conor Logic, the first fight did less pay-per-views than the second fight because once Nate Diaz wins, people see, oh, uh, this is a great fight that a lot of people didn't know this was going to be a great fight beforehand. Obviously, um, hardcore MMA fans were aware that it was going to be a great fight. But when you look at the casual fan, and the casual fan is what pushes the UFC to these number two overall pay-per-view buys. Uh, If all the hardcore fans buy, you're not going to get 1.6 million buys. But when you get casuals to buy... That's when you get to 1.6. And then the casuals see that fight and they go, oh, Dustin Poirier's good. Nobody, no casual fan knew that until they saw until they saw him knock out Connor. So now casual fans see that and they're aware, oh, Dustin Poirier's a bad man. They already know Connor's a bad man from, from all the things he's done in his past. So now you have this opportunity for a major third fight. And I think that's the fight the UFC wants. And there's obviously, pre, I've already stated Dustin wants it, Connor wants it. So that's the fight that I think is going to get made. The question is, is it going to be for the belt? Now, the one, the one thing that I see in this that I think a lot of people are missing because they're talking, who's fighting for the belt next, right? But the UFC has yet to strip Habib and Habib has been yet to vacate his belt. Do I think Habib is going to fight again? No. But what I think this does is by having the belt on Habib, they can keep it on Habib until until they're 100% sure for what they want for this next title shot. And if the UFC wants to book Conor versus Poirier 3, and they look at this and go, Conor, we can't have Conor fighting for a belt right now, then there's a chance they just make it a non-title fight and let Habib keep the belt for now. And then, you know, they can work out the details of who is fighting for the belt afterwards. I think that's an opportunity, and I think if that wasn't an opportunity, I think this belt would be vac- would have been vacated by Habib several several weeks ago. After after Poirier won, it was pretty much stated by Dana. Dana pretty much said he's not coming back. Habib said I'm not coming back. So why does he still have the belt? I think that could be a reasonable answer. Now, there's one other thing that really interests me about about Connor's move or about excuse me about Nate Diaz staying at 170. Now this is Nick obviously, Nate Diaz's brother, 
has been teasing a return for a long time. Now, I don't envision, envision a situation where Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz are fighting in the same weight class. Because these two have always been, you know, they'll obviously never fight, but they don't, they don't um, take each other's fights, you know what I mean? That Connor fight has always been Nate's fight, and there were rumors for a, for a minute that, that, was, that people wanted to see Nick versus Connor, and Nick pretty much said, you know, hey, that's my brother's fight, that's his fight, I'm not going to come in here. That changed a little bit with Masvidal because Nick came out and said he wanted to fight Masvidal after what he did to Nate because what Jorge did to Nate was whew, Jorge put on a on a good performance against Nate. So that kind of piqued Nick's interest against Jorge. Now, I think that 155 pounds is a real possibility for Nick Diaz. Nick has never fought at one seven or at 155. He's always fought at 170 and one. He's always fought at 170 and 185. Now, a pitcher came out of Nick Diaz, and Nick Diaz looked ripped. This is the best shape I've ever seen Nick Diaz in. I think when you look at some of Nick's last fight was against Anderson Silva at 185, and Nick had a little bit of chub on his stomach, you know? He didn't look in great shape, and that's partially because he's fighting at 185 when he really had no business at 185. He's a 170-pounder. And he, at Nate's or Nick's current state, he looks like in great shape. I would say the shape is the best shape I've ever seen Nick in is probably against Robbie Lawler in his early days. He was, looked very good in that fight in terms of in terms of how he appeared in in shape. They always have great cardio, right? But in terms of muscle mass and those types of things, this is the best I've ever seen Nick Diaz. So I'm very interested to see if he's looking at 155. They've been talking um, about his return. He did a test cut, and the test cut was revealed to be at to 168. Now the question is, the one thing that wasn't answered with this test cut by Nick Diaz was, was that 168 just, you know, on the scale and uh, after some weeks of dieting? Or was that 168 after, you know, cutting weight like you would cut weight for a fight you know sauna and things like that uh weight cutting techniques now because if he's at 168 that's a very reasonable to get down to 155 if he's hydrated at 168 so if he's hydrated at 168 i can see him moving down to 155 um i think it'd be a tough cut obviously it's a tough cut because uh, uh, his 170 is his more natural weight but I think for the Diaz brothers, it's always what piques their interest. And for Nick, there might be more fights at 155 that pique his interest than 170. So if he wants to return at 155, um, I think that's a real possibility. And the last thing I want to talk about in terms of Nate Diaz is he put out this tweet. And he's, this tweet, and the the top response was Tony Ferguson, pretty much called called Nate out. He called him a casual. And he said he would fight him at 155 or 170. So, um, I think this is a fun fight. Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. It's a fun fight, okay? These two guys have been in the UFC for years and have never crossed paths. Crossed path. So, this fight, it makes sense. It's the same reason that Connor versus Tony makes sense. Tony's coming off a, two losses. Nate's coming off one loss. And you can put these two guys in here. And someone's going to get back in the win column, right? 
and you're going to be able to have a big fight after the winner's going to have a big fight. And this might be this might be Tony's next step is Tony moving up to 170. He seemed open to the opportunity and uh, there was a Chael Sonnen interview. I believe it was November or December that this came out and he seemed very interested in moving up to 170 because he said he couldn't get any fights at 155. There's always been talk of Tony at 170, and I think this would be a very good introduction to the weight class for against Nate Diaz. Like I said, fun fight. Sells very well. And Nate Diaz isn't a huge 170-pounder. So um, length, Nate Diaz obviously has a lot of length, but he isn't one of those bigger 170-pounders that could really... He's not Usman. Usman's jacked at 170. He's not, Nate Diaz isn't isn't Usman, and he'll never be Usman in terms of muscle mass and things like that. So I think Nate Diaz versus Tony would be the best fight for Tony to see if he can really hang at 170. If you lose to Nate Diaz at 170, he's got to come back down to 155. But if he can get a win against Nate Diaz at 170, pair him up against someone else at 170, see how it goes. That could be Tony's next step. Because after a loss to Gaethje and after a loss to Oliveira, I'm not sure there's a long future at 155. And for Tony, his his fight against Gaethje, the weight cut was one of the biggest storylines, and he did it twice. So I think going up to 170 is very realistic for Tony, and I think Nate Diaz is a great introduction fight, and I think this is a great fight for Nate to to show that there's been a lot of talk about Nate um, after his loss to Jorge, and I think Tony's a great a great person for him to prove, hey, I'm still one of the best in the game. And the winner out of all this is the fans because that is going to be a great fight with two cardio machines and you just got to hope that it's a five-round fight because that would be fun. Two of the best gas tanks in UFC history, two two high-pressure, high-volume volume strikers, two great BJJ practitioners, uh, one Nate Diaz, Cesar Gracie, uh, Tony, Eddie Bravo, so I think this is a fun fight. If it's on the feet, if it's on the ground, no matter what, this is going to be a fun fight. It's a can't-miss fight. And I hope that's the direction that the UFC wants to go. Now, another piece of big news. We had Charles Oliveira turn down a fight against Michael Chandler at UFC 258. Now, here's the thing. Charles Oliveira is in a really tough spot. Because does Charles Oliveira deserve a title shot? Yes, it's as simple as that. But the the thing is, is he going to get a title shot? It's hard to say. It's hard to say if Charles Oliveira is going to get that next title shot, even though he deserves it. In the UFC right now, from my eyes, it looks like they're in the prospect of pulling a screw job on Charles Oliveira and getting someone else in there for the title. So if you're Charles, and you can see this, you can see that the UFC hasn't been overly excited to book you for a title shot. Charles Oliveira hasn't been overly excited to, or excuse me, um, Justin Poirier hasn't been overly excited to fight you for a title shot. So right now you're not in a spot where the only people who want you to get the title shot are, are hardcore fans saying, hey, Charles deserves it. People at the UFC aren't going, oh yeah, Charles is going to get the next title shot. Nobody said that. And they're not really working on that title shot. And they obviously don't want Charles in that title shot because they wouldn't have offered him a non-title fight beforehand. So if you're Charles Oliveira, you have to recognize that, hey, 
I know I deserve this, but I'm not going to get it. And if they're not going to give it to you now, right after your performance against Tony, if they're not going to give it to you then, right, what are the odds they're going to give it to you in three months? What are the odds they're going to give it to you in four months? You, you get what I'm saying here? The further you move from that performance that you had, the more people start to forget and the less likely it is for you to get that title shot. Now, I think Michael Chandler would have been a great opportunity for Charles Oliveira because the UFC loves Michael Chandler. And if Charles Oliveira can go out there and beat Chandler, then there's no then there's no deny, right? At that point, the buck stops there and he gets his title shot. And it's as simple as that. But right now, you can't say that for sure. So right now we're in a situation where if I had to say, if I had to put a percentage chance that that Charles' next fight is for the belt, it'd be under 50%, right? And that's just how it is, and that's just the direction we're heading. Does he des- Once again, I'm saying that Charles Oliveira does deserve this title shot, but I don't think he's going to get it. So he's he really missed an opportunity where if he would have taken this fight on short notice and he would have beaten Michael Chandler, then it's a... Then we're looking at 90, 95, 99% chance that he's in there for the belt his next fight. So he's taken he's taken a stand on saying, I deserve this. Rather than when he could he could go and prove that he deserved this. He's he can say that he deserves it, or he can go and prove to the UFC that he deserves it. He doesn't have to prove it to the fans. The fans already think he deserves it. But he can prove it to the UFC by beating by beating what Dan Hooker called the UFC's new fun toy and Michael Chandler. But he, he said no, and he missed that opportunity, and I wish he would have taken it because for Charles Oliveira, that, that would have been the final nail in the coffin, and he would have had his title shot. So um, I think he missed that opportunity, but um, I think he can bounce back from this, and hopefully hopefully he still want, he's interested in that fight against Michael Chandler. He said it was because for the weight was the reason he didn't want that fight. He said he couldn't make the weight. Is that true? I don't know. He's had trouble making weight in the past. He was a 145 pounder, moved up to 155. And if you can't make the weight, then that that opens up a whole another um that opens up a whole another can of worms for the UFC. Because when you tell the UFC, hey, I don't know if I can make the weight, that's the last thing the UFC wants to hear from you. So for for Charles's sake, because I think he's a fun and entertaining fighter to watch. I love watching Charles fight. I hope that he can get this weight under control where he can make weight more consistently and in shorter notice. And I hope that he can go out there and get a big win and hopefully fight for a title soon. The last piece of news before we move on to UFC 258, it's going to be a quick one. Stephen A. Smith said he doesn't like watching women's MMA because he he doesn't like to see uh, women fight because he thinks that it is barbaric. Now, um, that's just another reason why Stephen A. Smith shouldn't be watching or commentating or doing any analytical work on UFC or on MMA. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And this is just another thing to add to the long list of reasons why Stephen A. Smith shouldn't be allowed to speak about MMA. But here we are. I'm sure in two months, Stephen A. Smith will say something silly about another fighter and be in the news again for MMA. That's just kind of what Stephen A. Smith likes to do. Every once in a while, he'll just come out, he'll say something silly, doesn't really make any sense about MMA. Stephen A. Smith is um, he is a good a good analyst, 
for um, other sports. So I don't want to tear him down too bad. But anytime he opens his mouth about MMA, he tends to say something silly. So uh, let's hope that this little silly comment that he had really uh, kind of pushes it forward that he doesn't get to talk about MMA anymore. Because I'm tired of hearing it, and I know a lot of other people are tired of hearing him talk about MMA. So on that, uh, on that down note, let's go move on to UFC 258. The main event is Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Now, if you didn't know, Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns are former training partners, so and they are friends, so this is going to be an interesting one. And for this, I'm leaning towards Kamaru Usman on this main event or main event fight. Now, Kamaru has looked great in his last couple fights. Against Colby, he won just without using his wrestling. Against Jorge, he had a lot of clinch control. Against Tyron Woodley, he wrestled him for five rounds. So I'm very interested to see this matchup because I think Gilbert Burns has a real shot at beating him. I don't think Gilbert Burns has the ability to go 25 minutes and, and win a decision. I think if it goes to decision, I think Kamaru's going to win. But I think that, I don't think, I know Gilbert has the power in his hands where if he can land that shot, and that's a big if because we haven't seen Kamaru get, Kamaru get, uh, get hit with the big shot and dropped yet. So if Gilbert Burns can land one of his power, power shots, he can put Usman down. He has the power to do it. So that's a big thing. And if Kamaru tries to wrestle Gilbert, Gilbert has the possibility and he has the ability ability to to submit Kamaru. He has great grappling, great BJJ, great submission skills. So I think Gilbert Burns has, has a great chance to finish this fight. I think Kamaru is the better fighter, and I think he's going to win if it goes to a decision. He, he Kamaru also has um, good power. And very good grappling. So I think he can finish this fight as well. I don't, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. But I don't really see anyone beating Kamaru by decision in a long time. When Kamaru fights go to decisions, they're usually lopsided on the scorecards because he's so dominant. He'll have so much top control. He just, he just, the only fight that wasn't really a dominant decision was him versus Colby. And that fight, some people had it 3 1 going into the four, that fight. Those scorecards for that fight were wild. I've heard people who had it 3-1, Usman going into the fifth. I've heard 2-2 going into the fifth, and I've heard uh, 3-1 for um, Colby going into the fifth round. So other than Colby, Kamayo has really ragdolled all his opponents and had dominant wins. But like I said, Gilbert has the skill set to go out there and catch a submission and catch... um, and catch an overhand right or an overhand left. He's got Gilbert has power in both hands. If he can catch, if he can catch Kamaru, he's gonna put him down. So I think this is gonna come down to: Is Kamaru gonna make a mistake? If Kamaru makes a mistake, he is gonna get slapped or he's gonna get submitted. Now, with that being said, Kamaru hasn't made very many mistakes. So that's why I lean Kamaru here because I think he is. Um, he stays out of trouble so well, 
and he find he finds ways to win, whether that be on the feet or on the ground or in the clinch. He always finds a way to win, and I think he's gonna do that again this fight. The co-main is Macy Barber versus Alexa Grasso. Macy Barber is one of the the more hyped up female prospects, but she only has nine fights in the UFC, with one of them being a loss to Roxanne Mataferi. So I really hope we see Macy Barber. Um I'd like to see a, a very good performance by Macy Barber. We've been hearing a lot about how she's good, but there's a there's a good chance that Alexa Grasso goes out there and and puts on a good performance and takes Macy Barber out. I think uh, Macy Barber had a had a big hype train. Roxanne started to chip away at it, and if Alexa Grasso can go out there and finish it off, then Macy Macy Barber's hype train is going to be completely gone, derailed. But I think this is going to be a very close fight. We have two very skilled strikers here, but I lean towards Macy Barber. I lean towards Macy Barber. Just I'm assuming that in her time off that she has grown and become a better fighter because she's young and she's not done developing and she hasn't reached her full potential. So I think I'm making the prediction here that Macy Barber has improved since her last couple fight, her last fight and uh, is able to win here. Then we have Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinrichs on this on this main card as well. Very very interesting fight here. Kelvin Gastelum has uh, been in a little bit of a a little bit of a slump here. He lost to Darren Till and Jack Hermanson, but I think the difference here is gonna be Kelvin Gastelum's experience. I think Kelvin's gonna be able to win just solely based off. He's been in there with Till. He's been in there with Izzy. He's been in there with Hermanson. He's been in there with a lot of great fighters. And that's not even touching the surface for Gastelum. So I think Gastelum has the experience here. And I think he's going to take Ian out. Um, but Ian is a very talented fighter as well. I see this one's probably going to the decision. And I, I lean Kelvin. I hope he's I hope he's getting himself back in the win column. Because the 185 pound division is better with Kelvin Gastelum in it. Then at Bantamweight, we have Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. And this is an interesting one because Pedro Munoz is, I believe he's coming off a loss to Frankie. Edgar was his last fight. He uh, He's recently lost to Aljamain. So, but Munoz is so incredibly talented. Yeah, his last fight was the loss to Frankie Edgar. Before that, a loss to Aljamain. And then he beat Cody the fight before that. So he's lost his last two. But in these fights, and especially against Aljamain, in, in three rounds against Aljamain, Aljamain was a clear winner, but there's a lot of good from Pedro Munoz here, and and I'm hoping we see more of that, obviously. So I think that Munoz is going to be able to win. I He showed a lot of talent here, and I think that he's going to be able to go out there and get the win against Jimmy Rivera, who's another talented guy. And this is a really fun fight at Bantamweight. Um, Jimmy Rivera and Pedro Munoz are eight and nine. There's a lot of action going on at Bantamweight. So we'll talk, we'll talk about what's going on at Bantamweight next week. A lot. I'm pretty sure because we're going to have that fight. And so, um, there's going to be a couple other Bantamweight fights here. Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny is coming up. Cody Stammen is soon to fight again. He was supposed to fight Marab. Then Marab pulled out. Then he was supposed to fight um, 
Andre Ewald, then Andre Ewald pulled out, then he was supposed to fight Eskar, he was supposed to fight Eskar, Eskar. so I think Cody Stammen's going to get in the cage, hopefully soon, so we're going to see some, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more here about Bantamweight probably next week, and um, I'm going to talk a little bit here at the end of the episode about um, Bantamweight as well, because I've got a little bit more to talk about on that. And then moving down the card in this, um, the last fight on the main card is Makai Pitolo versus Julian Marquez. I think Marquez wins this one. Um, he's a much better prospect at this point. And pretty pretty simple there, I think. that's he's. I believe he's a big favorite in that fight. And we have a very fun fight on the prelims here. Two very fun fights on the prelims here. We have Jim Miller. Versus Bobby Green, um, two veterans, two great guys, and um, this is a hard fight to call. Anytime you have a Jim Miller fight, there's always that chance that he goes out there and he grabs a submission victory. But I think this is going to be a close fight, but I've got Bobby Green by decision here. Another fight on the prelims, Bilal Muhammad versus Diego Lima. Why is this fight on the prelims? I have no clue. We have a ranked welterweight fighter in Bilal Muhammad, who I believe he's ranked. He was ranked, but those welterweight division rankings have been, they've been pretty bad. But yeah, Bilal Muhammad is ranked 13th. They've had Connor. They've had Nate. They've had a lot of movement at this, uh, in these welterweight rankings. But right now, Bilal Muhammad is 13. Why is he fighting on the prelims against Diego Lima? Well, I know why he's fighting Lima, obviously. Lima's a very good, very good fighter and has done well in the UFC. But why is he fighting on the prelims? You have a ranked guy fighting on the prelims, and you have Julian Marquez fighting on the prelims against uh, Piloto. So that doesn't really make sense to me. I hope this is an error. I'm looking at this card on Google. That's uh, where I usually look at cards, Google or Tapology. But right now, Google has it uh, as a prelim fight. Doesn't really make sense to me. Hopefully, they change that and throw that on the main card. And uh, recently, the UFC has had a lot of movement uh, UFC moves fights around all the time to where it's happening. Sometimes you, the full card won't be uh, in place until the last until fight day. So there's always changes there. And then on the uh, on the early prelims we have Ricky Ricky Simone versus Brian Brian Kelleher. Why is that on the early prelims too? I don't know. These are two two fan favorites. I feel like who get in who get into Big time wars, Brian Keller especially. Doesn't make sense that this is on the early prelims. I really hope Google's got this wrong. But that is going to be a fun fight. You can bet that when Ricky Simone and Brian Kelleher walk out there, my eyes will be on the TV. You can bet on that one. That's going to be a fun fight. And I lean towards I lean towards Ricky Simone in that one. But that one that for me that's a pick me fight. So um yes, there's that. But hopefully they change this fight card around, or hopefully Google's wrong because below Muhammad on the on the prelims doesn't make sense. Ricky Simone and Brian Kelleher on the early prelims doesn't make sense. Um, so hopefully they get that changed. Don't know why that's a thing, but we're gonna move on from that. Then the last thing uh, I want to touch on here is Frankie Edgar and Alistair Overeem. We didn't talk about these earlier, but I do want to talk about what is next for Frankie and Alistair Overeem. And I figured I'd throw this at the end of the episode. 
because I don't particularly like talking about this because it looks like Alistair Overeem and Frankie Edgar. It looks like we're looking at retirement for both of them. These are two legends who both got knocked out. Frankie Edgar's being in devastating fashion. Alistair Overeem took a beating. He was bloodied. Jason Herzog had a great stoppage at the end of that fight to ensure that Alistair didn't take any more necessary any more damage that was necess- that wasn't necessary. So great stoppage by Jason Herzog. He's one of the best refs in the game. But you know, it's really tough here. Uh we'll talk about Alistair first. Now, Alistair said, I'm making another run at the heavyweight title. I want to get the heavyweight title and then retire. So you lose to Alexander Volkov. Now, Alexander Volkov has looked great, and I think he has the potential to be a champion. But if you lose to Alexander Volkov and you don't employ a really good game plan, I didn't like Alistair's game plan. I would love to see more takedowns to... uh, to really, that would have, I feel like, that hinders Volkov striking. Because he's a worse striker when you threaten that takedown. But we're not here to talk about that, I guess. We're here to talk about what's next for Alistair. So, he didn't have a great game plan. And if you can't beat Alexander Volkov, can you beat John Jones, Deepa Miocic, and Francis Ngannou? Because those would likely be the three names that Alistair would be up against. Alistair fought Nganu, and Nganu sent his head into another dimension with an uppercut. So he fought Stipe, and he almost beat Stipe. He had the potential to finish Stipe, and he went for a guillotine, and Stipe eventually got out and knocked him out. That's a very good fight. If you haven't seen that fight, go watch that fight. And then John Jones, who he hasn't fought yet, but I don't really think that I don't think that he can beat I don't think that Alistair can beat John Jones. He just showed that he's gonna have a hard time beating Volkov because if he gets a rematch against Volkov, I don't see it going any differently. I really don't. I, he didn't really show that much that proves that it would go differently in a second fight. Um can he beat can he beat Curtis Blades? He lost to Curtis Blades. Can he beat Surreal Gan or Jarzinho Rosenstrike? Possibly. But even then, can he beat Derek Lewis? Possibly. But even then, if your goal is a title, and we're talking about Alistair Overeem has a chance to beat Surreal Gan, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, and Derek Lewis, that's, you know, and if that's all you can do, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to win the UFC title, I don't think. And this is, I don't like saying this because I feel like I'm being overly critical. Because I I really like Overeem, but at this point and the showing that we saw from him, we it, it, he just doesn't seem like he has what it takes to be the UFC champion. And even in his fight against uh, his, his last win was Augusto Sakai, and against Sakai he took him down and and had a great great some great ground and pound against Walt Harris he had great ground and pound but before that he uh knocked Walt Harris down but Walt Air- Walt Harris also had a knockdown and almost finished that fight in the first round and uh Walt Harris gassed trying to finish him so if you're getting dropped by Walt Harris and I love Walt Harris too but if you're getting dropped by Walt Harris who's who has lost in his last both his last two fights if you get dropped by Walt Harris can you 
beat John Jones, Stipe, or Francis Ngannou. Because I think right now, if Alistair were to get a title shot anytime soon, it would be against one of those three. Can he beat one of those three? I don't see it happening. In best case scenario for Alistair Overeem, he gets a title shot against, say, Volkov. Can he beat Volkov? Probably not. Can he beat Curtis Blades? Probably not. Right? Do you see where this is becoming problematic? Where you want to go out a UFC champion, but it looks like you can't beat the top tier to become the UFC champion. So we have to reconsider what, what are we doing here. If you want to be a UFC champion, it doesn't look like it's going to be going to happen. No, so now you have to ask, do I want to keep fighting if I'm not going to be champion? I don't know the answer to that question. That's something that, that Alistair Overeem is going to have to figure out himself. But looking at these heavyweight rankings, if you're Alistair Overeem, don't, you don't need to take any more. You're a legend already. And in your prime, you be, in, in Alistair's prime, he beats a lot of these guys. And he'd have a good chance of beating Stipe, John Jones, or Francis Ngannou in his prime. But he's 40 years old. So at this point, we have to consider, do we need to keep taking damage? Do we need... So if Alistair Overeem, if Alistair Overeem decides, I want to continue fighting, I think his next fight would be against the loser of Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Cyril Gan. Now, even then, we're asking ourselves, can he beat either of those guys, Gan or Jarzinho? Can he beat the loser of those two? I think he can. But can they beat him? Yes. Yes. On paper, that would be a very close fight between those either, either of those matchups. But there's also a chance that he eats a big right hand from Gan or Jarzinho that puts him to sleep. And I don't want to see Alistair Overeem get put to sleep again. He's taken enough damage. So I think it's time for Alistair to hang them up. And I hate saying that. I hate saying it because... It's not a fun thing to say, and I don't want to see Alistair go out like that. So maybe the UFC finds a way to book him. Maybe just put him against Augusto Sakai again and have him uh, hopefully try and take Augusto Sakai down. Maybe a book him against uh, JDS. JDS versus Alistair Overeem. Um, winner or loser retires. Winner uh, probably also retires. I think that'd probably be a, a good thing to do there. But, um, yeah, if I think he needs to retire, and if he doesn't retire, I think the UFC needs to give him a favorable matchup that he can win and hopefully go out uh, a winner because it's always better to go out a winner. But with that, you have to, that also opens up a can of worms of if he wins, does he think he can still do it? We don't want that to happen because uh, I think last night Alexander Volkov proved that he doesn't have that Alistair Overeem doesn't have what it takes to become champion at this point, which is which is really difficult to say. And then on the other side of that coin, uh, we also saw Frankie Edgar get knocked out stiff. And the question is, should Frankie retire? Frankie's in a very similar situation where I think the difference here is Alistair has came out and said, I want to fight and I want to get the UFC title. So it's easier to say, hey, um, you, you, uh, you don't... Um, you don't have what it takes. You got to retire. Now, I don't I don't believe that Frankie has came out and said, I want to be the UFC champion at 135 and then and then right off into the sunset. He hasn't said that. So maybe Frank, I, So it's harder to say what Frankie's motivation is. With Alistair, you see a clear motivation. And you can see that that motivation is probably 
not uh, not going to last long, so it's time to hang him up. With Frankie, it's tougher to say because Frankie's in a really tough spot as well. Because if you look at these, if you look at his last couple fights, he's lost several in a row, or he's lost several of his last. I think he's lost like I don't even want to look at Frankie's record because he's gonna it's gonna hurt me because he's a legend. But Frankie has had some tough fights here as of late. He he did beat Mark Munoz, which is a great win, obviously. Mark Munhouse, I just talked about how good I think Mark Munhouse is. So he, and that was a split decision that a lot of people thought Munhouse won as well. So he lo- loses to Corey Sanhagen, loses to Korean Zombie, loses to Max Holloway, beats Cub Swanson, loses to Brian Ortega. But that Brian Ortega win, or that Brian Ortega loss was in 2017. That Cub win was in 2018. Before that, he beat Yair in 2017. So at this point, it really looks like Frankie's best days are behind him, and it looks like they caught up to him quick, which is very tough. I think we're in another bad situation here where if you can't beat Corey Sandhagen, who looked amazing, but if you said to me, James, do you think that Frankie Edgar could beat Aljamain Sterling? I don't see it. Do you think that Frankie Edgar could beat Piotr Jan? I don't see it. Do you think Frankie could beat Rob Font? I don't really see it. Do you think he could beat Cody Garbrandt? I don't really see it. I don't see Marlon Moraes. Um, I think, you know, if Frankie wants to continue, I think Marlon Moraes would be the correct correct way to go in that as Moraes has dropped his last two, one being to Sanhagen, one being to Rob Font. So I think there still is a place for Frankie Edgar here in the bantamweight division. In the bantamweight division is uh, has some older names. You know, you can match. You can always match Frankie Edgar up with Marlon Moraes. You know, you've got Rafael Sanzao. You've got Dominic Cruz. Who who knows what what Dominic Cruz's future holds against Casey Kenny? Obviously, we need to see that Casey Kenny fight first. Casey Kenny's a great talent in the UFC, and he's got a legit shot to beat Dominic Cruz. So we got to see what happens there with Dominic. We might be having the same talk about Dominic here if he loses to Casey Kenny. So I think, I think for Frankie, I think Frankie is in a better position than Alistair because he he can still compete with. I think he can compete with Marlon Moraes. And so if Frankie wants to continue, I think he's got a better shot than Alistair. And he looked. It's gonna sound weird, but Frankie Edgar looked better than Alistair Overeem. And I say that because Frankie was light on his feet and he looked like he was getting some timing. Eventually, Corey Sandhagen hit him with the knee that would knock a mule out. So, is if it can knock a mule out, it's going to knock a 135-pounder out. So, I think Frankie might have just been on the wrong end of a perfect time knee by Corey Sandhagen. Alistair, on the other hand, he uh, was dominated for pretty much all of round one. He got dropped in round one, and in the second round, it was worse. So I think for Frankie, Frankie's at least got a win here recently. So maybe you can put Frankie in there again against Marlon Marais or Rafael Sunsau or Dominic Cruz or the loser of Munhos and Rivera. Well, if if Rivera loses, then I think you could go Rivera or Edgar. I don't really, I doubt they make that uh, Munhos and Edgar fight again. So I think, I think Edgar has more, I think Frankie has more opportunities in this division than Alistair in terms of some older guys 
who he would have a good shot against. And guys who are, Marlon's not that old, but Marlon is uh, uh, on a two-fight losing streak. You don't have many guys on a two-fight losing streak in heavyweight that Alistair hasn't already fought. I think that's the problem with Alistair is he's fought most of these guys. And that's, uh, he's you know, he's fought Blades, like I said. So at this point, I lean towards saying both of them should retire. But I think Frankie has still got, uh, I think Frankie's still got an opportunity here. I don't think he can become champion, but I do think he can he can continue to fight at a high level against some of these guys in the top 10 at bantamweight. And I don't know if I can say the same for Alistair Overeem. So that's uh, that's going to end it. I'm, I don't like talking about retirements. So that's why I threw this at the end. So next week we're going to be back with a breakdown of UFC 258. We're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk about the pretty much the same. It's going to be the same same show as uh, today. We're going to talk about the fights that happened the night before. Then we're going to move into some other news and look forward to next week's fight card after that. Make sure that you go follow my other social medias. we got Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Those are the big ones for social medias. And then I'm on all streaming platforms for where you access your podcasts. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on several other smaller platforms if you listen to your podcast on any of those. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure you comment so we can grow here. And thank you for watching the Head Kick KO podcast.